Weirdo bookworms unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. Hey, Happy New Year, halfway through January. I know. Hello, everyone. Sorry about the really um unintentional, like, week off schedule thing. That was completely not planned, we, 100%. Absolutely. We had some um somewhat foreseen, but pretty much unforeseen destruction <laughs> of our entire studio and life that uh, made it pretty impossible to record an episode last week. Yeah, due to some, <laughs> some withstanding flood damage, for lack of a better way to put it, <laughs> we had to repair our walls and our floor, and it was very noisy, and we were basically crammed into one room with like all of our belongings at it was just not an ideal place for recording a podcast. So, you know, now we're back. First episode of the year. But we're back and you're going to get two episodes uh, in a row. One this week, one next week. So she enjoy. Lucky, I know. Um, I guess, you know, I should start out by saying it's the new year. We're doing all the new year fun things. <laughs> not really. I did watch one cool thing I wanted to share with everybody. And that was I watched the Night Stalker docu-series on netflix it's like four or five episodes long um fantastic i really like i cannot recommend it enough if you are a fan of true crime um yeah i mean it's like if you're familiar with the case you'll learn some stuff and it's also just like really compelling it's very moving and um it's from the perspective of the detectives that worked the case the night stalker richard ramirez um Um, horrendous things he did to people and they don't sugarcoat it but at the same time nothing about it feels like exploitive and the detectives have a lot of charisma and they have a lot of like uh, respect for the people he killed and victimized it's really good it's really really good well, I have not been uh, ingesting anything really genre related outside of what we've outside of preparing for this show. Mm-hmm. Um, I I definitely have been watching a lot of uh, slime tutorials on YouTube, not Broadway bootlegs, slime tutorials. Right, 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 right. That's a code. <laughs> that's a code name. Um, but uh, yeah, that that's pretty much been my uh, my twenty twenty one experience, and a whole lot of watching the news. Oh, yeah, we watch a lot of the news these days. You know what you did see? You saw The Fly, the 1986 The Fly for the first time. I did. I enjoyed it. I mean, of course, (laughs) I've watched a lot of things that you've watched for your other shows. Yes. Yeah. But that was kind of fun because that's like a mad science thing and like relevant to your interests. And, you know, it was first timer. I liked it. First timer. Yeah. So for our kickoff episode for 2021 we are reviewing ashley audrain's the push and what a push this book has been um okay little would you talk about the synopsis for the book i do i just i just wanted to give a little peek behind the curtain on this okay. book you know we get we get publishers who talk to us about books that we might be interested in reviewing. And there's a lot of stuff that we Nobody we pays on. us or anything. <laughs> I think we must have received about mm, approximately 3,000 emails about this book from a yeah. whole lot of different people. Um, 
there's there's been a lot of push uh, uh, behind this book, and I'm just gonna say maybe for good reason. Oh, oh, okay. So let me tell you about the push by Ashley Audrain. Uh, Blythe Connor is determined that she will be the warm, comforting mother to her new baby, Violet, the way she herself never had. But in the thick of motherhood's exhausting early days, Blythe becomes convinced that something is wrong with her daughter. She doesn't behave like most children do. Or is it all in Blythe's head? Her husband, Fox, says she's imagining things. The more Fox dismisses her fears, the more Blythe begins to question her own sanity. And the more we begin to question what Blythe is telling us about her life as well. Um, I kind of don't want to say too much more than that. I agree. Yeah. I mean, you could read a little bit more than that and not be spoiled. But um, we'll just kind of we'll leave it there. We'll just kind of leave it there. So... Scott, what was your experience reading The Push? Uh, this book uh, is a very difficult book to read and yet remained a solid page turner for me throughout. Um, I think maybe even a better word for it would be gripping. I was yes. just, I, it grabbed me and just <laughs> would not let me go until I finished it. Um, and considering it's written in a weird mix of first person and second person perspective. Yes. Which is something that, that kind of hurts my brain a little bit, <laughs> but she writes it so well that it just makes sense and it grabs you and it makes you kind of like, feel like you're, you're reading something you shouldn't be. Yes. Yes. Um, I have to say this is like 320 pages of like not a word wasted, not a page wasted, not a word wasted. Um, gripping, I love that. Tense, chilling, difficult, emotional. Um, in a lot of ways, this book reminds me of what Hole in the Woods by Jennifer Grazer Dornbush that we read last year was one of your top books of the year. It reminds me of like what that book did for true crime fiction this kind of does for psychological thriller because it kind of twists it. It kind of puts a new look on it. It puts a new spin on it and it makes it like, you know, it's like this thing that you think, you know, and then it kind of explodes it. It's unique in, in the genre where a lot of psychological thrillers, they tend to revolve around either a murder or some other like, single horrific event, event. Yeah. yes and this doesn't it's i don't want to call it a slow burn but it but it's almost written like it like to be a slow burn where right. it's like you there's just lots of things happening throughout yes that that just adds to that level of unease i should say my my experience is definitely page turner um so and to back that up to Ashley's writing is she knows how to write a page turner. That is exactly like, you know, there's books that are page turners and then there's people that write a page turner. Yes. And that is totally her. She knows exactly how to write to compel you to keep going. And she kind of teases things a little bit and she kind of suggests things. I don't, and just something about her writing style, it feels urgent. It feels immediate. Even when she's talking about mundane or everyday things. Um, oh my gosh. This book, it almost hurts my head. It's so good and it's so complicated. The main conceit of her writing style in this book is that it's written from the perspective of 
of Blythe, the main character, yeah. writing a letter to someone else. Right. And it's and it's a letter explaining everything that has happened, everything that has happened um in three different time periods that it jumps between constantly to keep you engaged, to keep you yeah. on the edge of your seat, to 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 continually reveal more and more information to you, the reader, as well as to the person she's writing this letter to. It's a right. really interesting conceit that uh, works really well and would be very difficult to pull off if you did not have absolute mastery of your craft. Yes. And I want to talk about, I want to talk about characters more in the spoiler section, Yes, but I should say, um, you know, we love a complicated character. We love a character where you love them, you're angry at them, you're confused by them, you're hurt by them, you know, all at once. And she nails that with her characters. She absolutely nails that. I challenge you to not have this book haunt you after you read it. I have thought about it so much, so many times. Um, This is a wonderful piece of uh, feminist fiction as well. Looking at a woman's... (laughs) place in society how we're kind of forced and pigeonholed and generational trauma Mm -hmm. and mental illness and really really complicated themes i keep using that word complicated but it is because there's no there's layers there's no right or wrong there's no black or white i think it's important to point out um and there will be a uh There will be a trigger warning at the beginning of the spoiler section, but I want to point out right here that this is a difficult book. It it, it can be a very triggering book. It deals with some very complicated, dark, emotional places. Yeah. Um, I have recommended this to a couple of people I know who have kids, a couple of mothers, Mm -hmm. and uh, who like a challenging read. Because the thing is, it's like... I, I don't want to make it sound like reading this book is a punishment because it's not. It's a no, fucking it's, joy. Th- yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's a triumph of writing and it's so interesting. But um, I think a lot of people, a lot of parents, I don't know, maybe this is like a, a millennial parents, uh, Gen Z, I'm sorry, not Gen Z parents, a little young, but millennial parents and um, Gen X parents. They are interested in reading about people having challenges with parenting and about the icky, horrifying stuff that people don't like to talk about. But happens not talked about enough. Absolutely. Kind of like a well, like postpartum, Mm -hmm. you know. You know, you think of it like that where people just they they want to ignore it. They want to pretend that, oh, everything's fine. And and this book really addresses the weight of being a parent especially a mother and you are right i don't want to i don't want to uh make it sound at all like this is just really hard to get through because that's why i gave it a page turner score i have i have no problem giving a great book a struggle when and and there are books that are meant to be that way and that's the whole point this is absolute like thrilling page turner with some very 
complicated to yeah. use the word again messages. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. I can't think of another word for it, but it's just, it's like the best way I can put it where you have a lot of thoughts, you have a lot of feelings. Um, you're very challenged with things that you might've believed or things you might think to be true. Um, I am a big fan, as a lot of people are, of contemplating nature versus nurture. And there's, oh my gosh, that is like, that is one of the things that sticks with me about this book is a nature versus nurture argument. And I don't know, I don't know which one it is with this book, um, but it makes you think about both sides of that a lot. I don't know if it'll come as any surprise based on what I have been saying, but I think that this is a mass appeal book. Yes. Um, it's terrifying in a very real and human way, which to me is very rare in this uh, space. Yes. And it, it, because it's so universal and human in its themes that I think that this appeals to a mass audience, whether man or woman, parent or not a parent. I totally agree. Definitely a mass appeal book. Um, we're not parents. And I felt so engaged and so compelled. And it's, you know, we always say you should read books outside of your walk of life always because that is how you, hi, become educated and compassionate yes. person. That's what books do. Um, be really boring if you only read, you know, things that's like, I can relate to this. I mean, you need to see yourself in books, but you don't want to just read the same thing over and over again, right? Definitely all different sorts of people, I think, could get into this book, feel moved by this book, feel sickened and heartened and also, you know, maybe heard, maybe seen by some of the stuff in this book. Um, this book did make me cry. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a opposed to crying to books that is like probably the thing i cry at the most <laughs> is books um and it made me cry and i will talk about that because um it is like it's triggering in ways that i didn't expect it to be i i did not cry in this book but it did put me in a state of shock at one point okay i can't wait to hear what that point is well, I mean, this book is hard to discuss without getting into spoiler territory. So we kind of have to just jump there. I'm so excited. But I mean, if you need any convincing, I, I don't know what more to tell you. I think that if you're looking to be a little challenged and just really compelled and swept away and swept up into somebody's life, you should read this book 100%. All right. We'll see you over in the spoiler section. Enjoying the show? Please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Genre Junkies. And don't forget to visit the website, genrejunkies.com. By God, where to begin? Let's start with the trigger warning. Hit it. All right. So this book features uh, not necessarily violence, but bad things happening to children. Features postpartum depression, depictions of suicide and self-harm. And just dealing with somebody in a very, several peoples, <laughs> in a very challenged mental state. Yes. Um, that, you know, it's like, a, it, that is a trigger warning, but at the same time, a lot of books deal with that. But there's something about the very realistic way in which it's depicted here. You should think about it. You've been warned. 
Okay, we're moving on. <laughs> oh, my gentle Jesus, where to where to even start with this book? We have to start the story <laughs> of the spoiler section <laughs> with Blythe and her mother and her grandmother. Three generations of women with mental health challenges who are forced into situations by society and by their culture, <laughs> essentially, that they are supposed to be X, Y, Z way. And even though the time changes and those expectations change a little bit, they are still not a one-size-fits-all solution. And they all end up doing really f***ed up things because they are limited in their choices and in the way that they can get help with their mental illness and still have to be, you know, quote unquote, perfect for their time. And that's my favorite thing about this book, I think, is that is is the treatment of mental illness, you know, going down through a family, whether it's because, you know, they didn't actually have their mother figure in their life and didn't learn ways to deal with their mental health or because it was genetic. It's set up in the beginning of the book almost like it's this family curse. Right. And I was half expecting it to kind of go that direction, not necessarily in a supernatural route. Right. But but in a like, there's just something wrong with this family, especially the women. I appreciate that it didn't go to a place that was not real in that way. It, it felt, yeah, it, yes. it really was a true story of of mental struggles and both nature and nurture. That's it. That's the first time we're kind of confronted with the nature versus nurture argument is looking at the women in Blythe's family. Um, you know, are they are they all bad moms because <laughs> of, you know, external factors? Are they bad moms at all? Are they bad moms because of chemical imbalance? Um, all three of them have moments that are very shining and that they are good, and that they're not rotten or evil, especially Blythe, especially Blythe. But um, then it kind of becomes more apparent when we start talking about Violet, which is, we're going to save her, she's kind of her own little nugget. Yes. Well, little nuggets, her own little nugget. <laughs> well, I think in the case of her grandmother, yeah. who, who starts this whole chain, if you will, she her life, her, her story doesn't start with any kind like like a whole lot of like any real negative things N no no real signs of mental distress until her fiance dies yeah and her fiance dies in a way because he decided to do what her father wanted him to do a societal pressure a societal pressure yeah which then you know sent her into a spiral of just kind of doing what she needed to do to get by but she was no but she was not happy no. and that is something that was created by her environment and she wasn't um an attentive parent because yeah. of because of that that spiral that she sent herself into so then that leaves Bly's mother who really had did not have the love of her own mother mm -hmm. uh which then created kind of a pass down of that of that issue to her daughter Blythe. Right. Who has a very idealized, you know, image of what a mother is. Yes. And that's very complicated. And I, I feel like that's, gosh, it's in some ways, 
I don't know what, you know, I was going to say it's worse than other generations. I don't know. And that's hard to quantify which generation of <laughs> women had certain things worse <laughs> than others. But um, I feel like Blythe has inherited, like, you have to make up for two generations. Yes. Of crappy parenting. <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You have to be better for some reason. Yeah. And, you know, especially her mom, she didn't have a choice. You know, she had to have a kid. It had to be this thing, which is awful. It's freaking awful. And it's like, that's exactly what happens when people don't have the choice. And they're forced to be parents. (laughs) Like, that is what happens is it backfires horrendously but what i love about the way that she set this up with both the combination of the nature and nurture and this kind of almost threat to Blythe that there's something wrong with the women in this family which means there's something wrong with you yeah you're yeah is that you don't really know is her relationship with violet because of her because of a a uh, a mental health chemical chemical yeah. imbalance due to this you know due to her genetics and her her bloodline if you will right is it or is it because and therefore that's why violet is different right or is all of that kind of just put on her put in her brain by her the way that she was raised and this this line of pressure that was put down on her right. where she's pushed this it's all expectation yeah. of Violet being bad because of what her mother has told her. Right. Or does she blame Violet because she doesn't take to parenting very well right away? Mm-hmm. So, okay. So hold on. Let's, can we put a pin in Violet real quick? Yeah, certainly. Before we even get to Violet, there's also, there's Fox and his family which I feel like is a really important part of Blythe's story. Because besides the crap from her generational trauma, um, Fox has a perfect mom who is, you know, sometimes like, oh, I know it's so hard, honey. And she is a good person and a compassionate person. But she's one of those perfect, perfect moms. And she looks very different than the women in Blythe's family. Um, And then you have Fox. (sighs) Fox, I feel like is a is a good but ignorant person. I think willfully ignorant is especially important. Yeah, that's fair. Um <laughs> I think that they both did themselves a little bit of a disservice and this happens when people are in love um where you want to be that person's idealized version of something. So he really wants to be a dad. That's all like he wants. And she does want to be a mom but she's trying to fit into his mold of family and what he wants and what he thinks yes family should look like um and he is so doggedly determined that he can't see her suffering for what it is there's definitely choices that he makes as far as you know not wanting to give her you know some extra time yeah. without Violet by not listening to her struggles or encouraging that she seeks help right uh that are in huge red flags and inexcusable well and he also he cheats on her he does and which is not okay no and it's again it's it's because he's trying to find 
his mommy. <laughs> He's trying to like, you know what I mean? He's trying to be like, huh, you aren't quite right. I'm going to need someone who's a little bit more like my mom. Now, now <laughs> if, I, if I, now I'm kind of, I don't hate at, Fox or anything, <laughs> but yeah. Well, and part of my opinion on Fox, especially right now when I'm talking about it, is a little devil's advocate and uh-huh. I'll tell you why. Okay. Because I'm kind of describing my feelings towards Fox that I had prior to the last page of the book. So I want to I want to <laughs> yeah. frame that, okay? Yeah. This whole book creates Blythe as an unreliable narrator. Absolutely. Or at least makes you question if she's an unreliable narrator. Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, either six of one half dozen of the other. There's some questionable, yeah, trust. Because there is a lot of question. Is this her putting this on Violet? Is, yes. is Violet actually fine? But this is this is just what she, how she treats her and how she sees her and the damage that she's causing. And maybe this is the way that her mother also kind of viewed things. And maybe that's quote unquote, what's wrong with the women in this right. family. Right. I use well, air quotes. And so, and therefore, and, and again, he should have had her get help. He should have been more supportive, but, but may, but there's, there's a, there's strong evidence throughout a lot of the book that, you know, maybe this is, has nothing to do with Violet and it's not Violet's fault that she can't connect with her. And if that's the case, then some of what he does is more understandable. Like, look, there's nothing wrong with Violet. Violet is fine. She's great. There's it's, it's on you. Well, here's, here's the thing. Violet is not fine. (laughs) Violet is not fine. And she does a couple of things that are unquestionably. She did bad. Um, the razor blade and the ending of the book. But I don't blame Violet because the argument is, did she inherit mental illness or did Blythe kind of ruin her? See, that's interesting because... But I don't blame... That's not... In the same way that like some things aren't Blythe's fault, there's something that weren't her mother's fault, that weren't her mother's fault. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it makes you look at... Because we're used to in thrillers, things are pretty clear. Somebody is severely mentally ill or somebody is kind of forced to be that way. You know what I mean? Like through nature. And this does not give you a simple answer. What I, what I find interesting about that, though, is, is I'm curious. Did you ever question whether or not Violet actually did those things? Um, yeah, I, I definitely questioned some things from Violet or I questioned how malicious it really was because there were there were points especially like there was a point of the book where I was 100% with Blythe and I and I I trusted everything that she was saying and she was putting down on paper about Violet and then when she started to do the kind of creepy stalkery stuff Oh yeah, where she's pretending to be someone else, so and she's creating this whole relationship with her Ugh. ex-husband's new wife, the girlfriend. The yeah. girlfriend yeah. is it made me think. Okay, there is something like she is. She's starting to believe these things that she's doing. Like she's starting to believe yeah. she's this person, which which speaks to again more of a writing history a little bit differently than how it worked like okay maybe she put the razor blade in the bag and just hoped that you know 
the kid would find it. Maybe, you know, maybe she, she really did not pu- push the stroller and that was just something that happened. Or maybe she did it herself. I don't, I didn't believe that. But no. I was expecting there to be something this big, like, none of this is true moment. It really was only well, the very last line. Of, that's what she gets. Exactly. Yeah. It's really only the last line of the book that completely changed, like completely cemented and changed my opinion of everybody in the book. And so knowing what I know at the very end, that there's something not right with Violet. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these things that she was seeing and she was noticing were real, uh, definitely paints everybody else in a much worse light. I feel like you kind of threw a whole bunch of questions at me and now I have to like find them again. So, so, so hold on. Okay. I stopped trusting Blythe pretty much as soon as Violet was born. That's first and foremost, because... Blythe was so disappointed with not connecting immediately to her child. Yeah. She started to really say things that made me upset with her, blaming Violet as an infant. Um, and I know that's like a postpartum thing. And I certainly have, I have a lot of compassion for people who go through that. But it is hard to read because I'm like, well, yeah, but that's a baby. That's an infant. That's a child. That's innocent. You know what I mean? So it's like you have to get a little starting to feel distrustful of her because it's like, well, she didn't do anything. <laughs> she's just a <laughs> she's just a she's just a glow worm right now. Um, so that's when I started to not fully trust her. So then Violet starts to kind of do some things. Like she's as she's getting older, she's not connecting with Blythe. Blythe's fault. Because Blythe is not because Blythe is convinced that there's like not a relationship there. She loves her and she wants to be her mom sometimes, but she's also like, she can't get over this, that motherhood is not what she thought it was going to be. So of course that's going to make violent Violet distant. That's going to make her like weird around her because kids do pick up on that stuff. Now, again, we know something is wrong with Violet, but we don't know when exactly it started and how much Blythe is to blame or if it's all chemical imbalance right i think Blythe is to blame (laughs) at least for violet i think she kind of ruined her a little bit and and i like Blythe a lot and Blythe is still a good person and there's times when her when the two of them have really good moments and there's time when Blythe has really good moments with sam so that's not to say i'm not anti-blythe i'm not mad at her but i mean you know we have violet um (laughs) you know she has a weird relationship with her mom it's not Violet's fault. Then we have the little boy whose hair she takes. That was oh, weird. I forgot about that. Yeah, that was weird. But kids do kind of weird stuff. And that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean they're going to be a sociopath. That was a little weird. It, it, no, she was a little sociopath. But go on. <laughs> then there's the boy who falls. Yes. I still have no idea if Violet did that or not. I feel like she did. I don't know. I'm six. I'm six and one half dozen of the other. Why do you think she did it? Because I believe that she did all of the things that Blythe witnessed because of what the, Blythe did to her. That's or I don't know. No, because because of the last line of the book. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I know she. Okay, so we know she does some bad things. Cutting the hair was weird. That was weird. I feel like everything that Blythe witnessed Violet do uh-huh. and suspected Violet of doing. 
I feel like Violet did. So you think that Violet did push? Yes, absolutely. I'm not sure that she did. Because again, I'm just not certain because we can't fully trust Blythe. So, and Blythe doesn't even fully trust herself in some moments. She starts to backtrack it, you know? And that makes it really, really hard because it's like, again, if let's say Violet didn't push the stroller. The way her mother treats her like a criminal is arguably going to turn her into a criminal because if she treats her like you're a little ticking time bomb waiting to go off, then that's how she will become. That's interesting. You know what I mean? Um, At least that's with the push. And by the way, I love the double, triple, quadruple meaning of the book too, by the way. It's like push of labor, push of this, push of that. So then we have the razor blades that goes to the new brother that is definitely like Violet went into her room and got them. Yes. So that's a little weird. <laughs> and then, of course, there's the ending where, it, but you know, there's that whole complicated part, like on the field trip, when we really get a picture into poor little Violet's mind. No one really likes her. And and she's she's so she's so complicated. And it's like, if she has a mom that's convinced that she's bad, did she ever have a chance? I don't know. So you, so what you're saying, what you're implying is that there is a possibility mm-hmm. that most, if not all of the things that Blythe suspected Violet of doing were not true, but at the end, she ended up becoming who Blythe thought she was. Yes. That is a really interesting take. Yeah. I, that's my that's my take. And again, it, or I mean, that's the wonderful thing about this book. It's yeah, very open to interpretation. It really is because you can also say, well, Violet was bad whether she was made that way or or raised that way. That's just it's so it. And I, Violet's not bad because there's lots of nice things about Violet too. That makes me so happy because I. I you know, I loved the way that this book ended, just sort of like hammering it home, like, oh, guess what? And, you know, you were questioning it just like Blythe. Everything was true. That's what I took from the ending. Yes. And yeah. like to have this to have you kind of open up this whole other idea and like deeper mm-hmm. reading to it actually makes me love this book even more. I know. I love it. I love it, too. And I love that. And it could also be that, you know, Blythe knew from the beginning that something was off again. And it could be because there was just a, a trail of mental illness waiting to to come to this conclusion. Also, yeah, there's so, so many ways to take it. And again, I I feel like I'm saying really mean things about Blythe, and I do like Blythe. It, um, I have so, so much compassion for her, especially when she's, she's trying to fit this mold of this mommy, you know, like with a capital M, right? And it's so hard. And she's, she's putting herself second, which is what, you know, parenting is, you know, kind of like the thing of it is supposed to like give everything to your children. There's a part of the book that I highlighted and it's before Sam dies. And it's where she's looking in the mirror and she realizes that her body is not her own. Her body exists to serve her family. That was a brilliantly powerful scene. Um, And she details how her body looks, how it's changed and how it serves each member of the family. <sighs> that's really i mean that's like the stuff that like knocks your socks off blows you away because women's bodies are such commodities and at different stages in our lives they don't feel like they belong to us 
uh, for a variety of different reasons. And the motherhood one, yeah, that's big. And that's what's even more gross. Like with that framing in that scene, that's what makes it even more just unacceptable and 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 wrong that he cheated on her because it is just it's it's like saying all right your body gave me these children your body you know takes care of the house and all this kind of stuff and you know weans the children and you know but your body doesn't you know it's not really it doesn't yeah, serve me in that the, way anymore. the body doesn't serve me in that way anymore you're not quite the mom i wanted you to be to my kids it's hard, you know, it, it does make you not like look at Fox in a very good light, you know? Um, oh my gosh, it's so, it's so much to unpack. This book is a lot to unpack in every single way. And um, you had mentioned when Bly starts to lead that double life. <laughs> oh my God. First of all, it was- it's so unhinged that it's really scary. She bought a wig. She bought a wig. <laughs> but it's also heartbreaking. And it because it's like she's desperate for this connection. And she actually, even though she's not being honest, she is being honest. Yeah. Oh God. It just does it just it makes my heart crunch. It makes me uncomfortable. And and it makes me mourn for the relationship the, the even healthy relationship that she could have had, because realistically, she was friends with her. Yes. Oh, yeah. That they was had her. a genuine that friendship. Yeah. And they could have, you know, they could have just been like, all right, this marriage didn't work out. You know, there's a lot of reasons why, um, you know, you have you, you how you got there is unacceptable. But <laughs> you have this you have this new woman who is helping to raise our, you know, our child and but we can actually be friends because we actually get along well and we have similar experiences and right, we can help I, each other. And it's just sad. But it, I mean, they were never going to be able to be friends, though, because Fox has already told her, Yeah, you know, and to be fair, like, you know, he probably told her she's not well. She thinks that our daughter killed our son. That's a hard person to then be friends with yes. is to be like. Oh, yeah, you think that... And, like, because in Violet loves the girlfriend and gets along really well but with her. dude, she did kill your son. She killed your we son. We don't know that, though. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I, I feel like... I feel like it's... I feel like she did. You can see how Fox... That, that, yes, now I'm defending absolutely. Fox. Yeah. You can see how he would look at it and be like, I know you went there to be a reason. You went there to be a cause that something happened, somebody to blame. But you can't just make there be somebody to blame. And also, you know, her whole time of being like, there's something wrong with her. There's something wrong with her. That would start to poison him against her. See, and that's why Fox is so complicated. Because he makes a lot of really bad choices. And especially towards the beginning of this whole situation, he is not very supportive. He's not a good partner. He's not a good partner. He expects her to just take care of raising the children and, and, and really, dude, say, hey, let's get you some help. Yes. And like the whole getting rid of the the nanny, the babysitter, Ugh. was the point when I actually really turned on him. Like this is something she needs. Well, but at I, the same yeah. time, I got the impression, and she kind of said it herself. She also didn't speak up for herself very often. No, she didn't. No. Which I'm not blaming her with that. It is a it is a um 
It's a societal pressure. It, and it's a product yeah. of her, of her, um, you know, mental struggles. Like right. that, that is actually one of her symptoms. Right. Is that she's not comfortable speaking up for herself. Advocating, advocating for, herself. for herself. Exactly. A hundred percent. But that can be very, di- like, I can also see why things got, you know, to a point where it was broken. I think, <laughs> I think that if Blythe had just been able to have a therapist, right? <laughs> right away, right as soon as Violet came home. Or maybe like right as soon as her mother left, but I get yeah, what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at least for the plot of this book, a lot of things would have been very different for this family. But, um, and I'm kind of saying that as like a joke. It's a little bit of a, you know, a cheat. But I mean, it's true though, because, you know, maybe then she would have been able to advocate for herself. She would have been able to look at Violet and be like, I'm sorry, because th- she she tells Violet later in life, I'm sorry, I wasn't good enough to you. She apologizes. Yeah. And it shouldn't have had to happen that further down the road. So the part I cried at this book was a weird part. I cried when she and Fox have that moment toward the end where they're reconnecting a little. Oh. That's the part I cried in this book because I... I felt so bad for Blythe that her life turned out nothing like how she planned it or wanted it in any way. And she lost everything. And I just felt so bad for her in that moment. Um, That was the part that really got me. And I just like, and then in the subsequent moments, I think I cried again when she was apologizing to Violet. I was the when she was apologizing to Violet. That was one of the parts that got me emo- that got me the most emotionally, got me the closest to tears. Yeah. Um, the the moment on the porch, yeah, actually made me kind of angry. <laughs> well, and that's you know valid because Fox is like, oh yeah, so yeah, I did notice something weird, but I didn't tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, you kind of put it that way. Screw you, yeah, dude. You, dude. Yeah, like seriously. Um, <laughs> like you mean we could have been talking about this the whole time like actually yeah there is something different about violet let's talk about that and figure out what's going on but you right. know you're just pretending that nothing is wrong well and even if he thought that there's only something wrong with violet because of what blight is doing that's still a great time to hey let's do some family therapy yes. and pick this apart like he should have been like okay that's fine let's go to therapy <laughs> i feel like and I'm, I, I'm kidding when i say this but i feel like this is gonna be our new like our new thing where it used to be wow this whole plot could have been solved if people just talked to each other <laughs> but now it's like this whole thing could have been solved if you just talked to a therapist <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the truth though. oh my gosh but she but there's a lot of people who who for very similar like reasons, yeah. not only internally, but externally. Absolutely. And this is a perfect example perfect of example. both. She has yeah. no, she has no encouragement from outside yeah. or any experience from inside of seeking help. Right. And he's like, just be more like my mom. It's fine. And then there's, um, oh, when she takes Violet to go see her surrogate mom. Her neighbor mom. I mean, we could have a whole other podcast just talking about her relationship with the neighbor mom. Um, <laughs> a really poignant, beautiful stuff. And she's so guarded. She's so guarded for a variety of reasons. And that's, again, it's not a blame thing, but it's a reason thing. Do you think she ever even told Fox about that woman? I don't think so. No. 
I don't think she did. I don't think she did either. She kind of made a she kind of made a point of saying in the beginning, like I didn't introduce you to my family. I didn't introduce you to barely knows her I father. disconnected from all of my friends. Like I did like everything was you. Yes. And it's again, it's a reason and it makes you feel for her because it's like and she didn't give herself a chance, but nobody else gave her a chance either. So you can't really blame. Absolutely, it, you blame everybody. It, 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 it's. I think one of the one of the powerful messages to take out of this book is that blame is not helpful or important in yes. this. Yes, there's a lot of blame, and I'm using air quotes that can go around. And at the end of the day, if everyone is to blame, then no one is to blame. It's right. just. It's just awful and at the and really who to blame is societal pressures yes a hundred percent is the things we do to ourselves and to each other um one of the things too with the uh you know when she kind of goes back to the the stop sign stoplight and she tries to like recreate it and she can't like quite do it and then there's the guy in the cafe is like yeah, it was a terrible accident. You know what I mean? Is it's like, no, I mean, like he might not have necessarily have been able to see Violet push the stroller if she did push the stroller. Um, she did. <laughs> if she did push the stroller, but it it's like she she wouldn't. I don't. It's I I can't even. I don't even know where I'm going with this. But you know what I mean? Like it opens up that window again of like maybe there's not somebody to blame. Maybe bad things happen because life sometimes bad things happen. Yes. Um. And, but you know, maybe Violet was jealous. Maybe Violet was unhappy. And she pushed that that stroller. <laughs> she was asking all kinds of questions about traffic and all that. But you know what? Sometimes kids also just do stuff to see what happens. Yeah. And that's not like a good thing. You know what I mean? But you know, like you tell them, "Don't touch the stove. Don't touch the stove. It's hot." And they touch the stove, or they stick a fork in a socket. They eat the Tide Pod. Because when you're five years old or six years old or however old she was at that point, like, you don't understand what what death is. You don't understand that kind of stuff. You don't understand uh, um, consequences. Yes, exactly. And that happens. I mean, I've watched a lot of true crime things about killer kids and stuff, too. And sometimes they know what they're doing and sometimes they don't quite know what they're doing. It, like, I mean, she could have been totally fine with tripping that kid. Good. I don't like it. I hope he gets hurt. Yeah. But she <laughs> might not have meant for it to be this, you know, cataclysmic event. <laughs> um, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. And I mean, <laughs> poor Blythe. I mean, uh, poor, poor everybody. Poor everyone. Poor Violet. Now she's going to be, we need to talk about Kevin. <laughs> well, I think Violet uh, belongs in prison personally but (laughs) i hope that her stepmom advocates for her to get help and maybe fox will finally listen to somebody yeah hey there's two women in your life now who's saying there's maybe something wrong with violet yeah maybe there's something wrong with violet just saying and maybe there's something wrong with you fox yeah be nice to moms it's hard also the other takeaway be nice to everybody life is hard when you're a human but be nice to moms believe them listen to them get them help or even if you think that what they're saying is you know not a normal behavior even more reason to just get them help make them feel heard and get help for yourself when you need it yes if there's if there's anything we can tell you on a on a daily basis if you need help 
Please seek it out. Just your Jono junkies get help. We get help. <laughs> Everybody gets help. Uh, okay, so how many sleepless nights out of five? Oh my goodness. Would you give this book? Uh, huh. I'm going to go first. Okay, you go first. I give this book four and a half sleepless nights out of five. Um, I appreciate and I love how open to interpretation everything about this is. Um, and yes, we've said nature versus nurture a lot. We've said complicated a lot. We've said challenge a lot. Take a um, shot. Yeah. And it's because, you know, sometimes books have to come along that really push, push you out of your comfort zone and push you to think about things on not just an intellectual level, but an emotional level. Um, Ashley is an incredibly talented writer that really gets how to write humans, that really gets how to write women, that really gets how to write compelling, compelling work. I can't wait to see what else she does. This book made me think so much, and this episode has made me think so much more. The book is written in a writing style that I never thought I would be able to wrap my head around, and I did, and I loved it, and I want to see more examples of it. Um, I am giving this five sleepless nights out of five. I, I want to break the rules and give it more and give it six because it came as such a surprise to me, and it did things that I have never read before myself and did it in a way that that felt perfect perfect to me you know what you convinced me i'm gonna give her the rest of the sleepless night five out of five sleepless nights there is no sleep there's no sleep there's no sleep and that's just gonna make your mental state even worse because you're not getting good rest <laughs> um i hope you all are okay after <laughs> listening to this episode and reading this book um but if you're not Turn on your little nightlight and please just keep reading past your bedtime. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sandra. 